All right, children, you're dismissed for Children's Church. See if I can borrow Ezra's stand without knocking all his stuff off. The real question is, will I remember to put it back at the end? All right, I told you that this week was the most exciting week of birthdays in the church, and it is true. Today, happy birthday to Tina Regeer. So Tina, if you were watching, happy birthday to you. Thinking about you today. But there's lots of other people. Make sure to read through your bulletins and message the different people. Um, Ryan and Whitney and Kevin and Edna and I should know all these different people. All the people who have the same birthday week as me in the bulletin every single year. So to all the different people, happy birthday to you this week. And another uh, reminder for membership testimonies. There's a number of people who are still... Uh, getting ready to share their testimony to become members. And if you're one of those people, know that you can still come to me and John. You can talk to us about it. And we can find a Sunday for you to share your testimony. Uh, whether in April or whether you want to wait even further to get ready into May and June. But know that we will make time for you so that you can be a part of that. So, my friends, this Palm Sunday, as we celebrate the entrance of Jesus into the city, we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about how in a healthy church, the leadership needs to follow a biblical pattern. And I wonder as Jesus is walking in, riding in, I guess, into the city, and people are standing along the streets and they're celebrating, what are they expecting? When you hire a new pastor for your church, what are you expecting? Were some people ecstatic that Jesus was there? Because he was going to take it to the Romans. He's going to be the King David we've been waiting for since the middle of the Old Testament. Walk right up to the first Roman soldier, boom. Is that going to be who Jesus is? Or is he going to be more like Moses, who grew up in the household of the king of Egypt? And he was well-trained and well-educated. He knew strategy and he knew leadership. Maybe like Moses, he'll be someone with gifting. Someone who can enter into this present situation and lead from experience. A strategist. What is Jesus going to be? I imagine as that crowd gathered around, they weren't all thinking the exact same thing. How many of them were expecting what Jesus was actually going to be? The shepherd that the sheep needed. Right? Not someone who's going to devise a plan to get us out of this mess and not someone who's going to fight their way out of this mess. Someone who's going to take the fall to free the people from this mess. So as we get ready to talk about biblical leadership this morning, I want to draw your hearts to this present moment and to ask you as we prepare to bring together a collective group of people to lead our church, what are we looking for? And as we go throughout this sermon, keep asking yourself this, what are we looking for? When you choose a pastor, what are you looking for? When you elect elders, what are you looking for? So the first question that came to my mind is on the next slide. 
The question is this, why do sheep need a shepherd? If Jesus was going to come to be the great shepherd that the sheep all needed, why did they need a shepherd in the first place? Never raised a single sheep in my life. I can be honest about that. Just a small herd of Charlotte cows, but not any sheep. Do you know what the sheep don't need, though? Probably someone with a lot of business acumen. It probably helps if the shepherd knows how to market them well, knows how to advertise them, knows the best time of year to make the sale. But at the end of the day, is that really what the sheep need the most? Or is it someone very aggressive? Someone who is just going to be a ferocious leader, who's not going to take no for an answer, strong-willed and brash. Is that what the sheep need? Probably not. What do they need? Someone to feed them? Someone to lead them? Someone to defend them? And I think as I've read through the New Testament and looked at Paul and Timothy and the way they start to plant churches, what it says in Hebrews and in 1 Peter, that's what they seem to look for in their leadership. The attributes of a shepherd leading the sheep. As you go to the next slide, we're going to take a look at this little passage from Hebrews before we get to a few other passages this morning. But I think this one might help summarize, maybe the most clearly, where I think leadership should be going and what I see in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 17 kind of reminds me of a parent taking care of their kids. And I'll tell you why once we read it. This is out of the ESV that I'm reading this morning. The author of Hebrews wrote this. He wrote, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What do I think the key is? I think it's keeping watch. An overseer, a watchkeeper, and that reminds me a lot of parenting. And that's just the world that I'm in, so when you look at shepherding, that's what comes to mind. I'm keeping watch over, and it's for their advantage. Here's where it might not feel like it's to their advantage. You know that moment when you get home from trick-or-treating, and you dump all the candy on the floor? Don't pretend like you haven't done it. And there's this huge pile, and you get all excited. And what do the kids say? We're going to eat the whole thing. And then that evil, mean parent steps in, and what does the parent say? No, you're not going to. We're going to put it away, and you're going to have one at a time. And the gut reaction from the kid is, why? Why would you do that? Don't you care about me? No, say we're riding our bikes. We're outside on the driveway, like the Kennedys do all the time. You watch out if you drive past our place. We're always on the street, and we don't look for vehicles. We have this knack for riding the bike down the sidewalk, and then at any random moment, onto the street, and then around the parked car and then back on the sidewalk. You know how hard it is to convince a kid that that's not safe? I've never been hit. I don't know what the issue is. It's not safe. Dad, that's no fun. I'm keeping watch. You ever jumped off the couch? 
You ever jumped off a pile of snow on your front yard? You ever played mini sticks and whacked your brother in the face? It happens. And the parent's job is to keep watch. Why? Not because we hate our children, not because we want to hinder them, make their life worse. It's actually of advantage to them to have somebody watch over. Why do sheep need a shepherd? Is it to make the sheep's life worse? Or to bless them by keeping watch over them? It's of no advantage to the children to make our lives terrible and to groan about it. And it's of no advantage to us as a church family. If God is trying to establish biblical leadership and we push back and we groan against it. We're going to look at a few examples in the Bible of people who are shepherds. And the first one, go to the next slide, is Moses. I would say he's our Old Testament shepherd. You might think David, but hear me out. I think Moses. As I'm reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, I encounter a lot of things about our very first shepherd. He understood the job of a shepherd. His job was a lot of different things. He was feeding the people, he was leading the people, and at moments, defending the people with interceding on their behalf. In the next slide, I'm going to point out just a few of these different characteristics. But think about Moses. He ascends the mountain for the people, receives the word of Yahweh, and brings it back down to hand to the people. He's feeding them God's word that would bring them life. He's literally watering the people. Like livestock, he's, he's providing and finding water through God's power so that they would stay alive. He's doing the second thing, though, is he's demonstrating a life of obedience to lead the people. This one gets tricky, so hear me out. A lot of us can try to lead people out of the position that we hold, and the problem with that is that it takes relationship and respect more than it does position. So what I would say is when you look in the Bible at good shepherds, people like Moses later in Jesus, the moment when the nation thrives the most isn't when Moses has to demand that they follow. It's moments when they look at his life, look at his faith. They see a genuine life worth imitating and they trust him to follow. That's leading the sheep. Right? That's leading. It's kind of like when you're moving the cows and if you're moving ones that don't trust you, ones that are upset, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. But when they're comfortable, when they're relaxed, when they know the way and they trust the person moving them, it's completely different. Finally, something I don't think I understood as clearly until this last year when I read through the Torah another time was the intercession of Moses for the people. On multiple different occasions, you see it in Exodus, should be 32, the golden calf. You're going to see Moses willing to lay down his life so that the people don't die. God is so upset with them, he says, Moses, let's remove the people. We'll build a new family through you and you can lead them. And he says, I'd rather have my name blotted out of your book than these people die. I want to see this through. And God relents. It's going to happen again in a similar way 
when they don't enter the promised land when they're supposed to. That's in Numbers. God says, enter into it. You don't have to be afraid. And the spies go in and they come back from the valley of Eshkol and they tell the people, there's giants there. You're not going to be able to take the land. And the people refuse to go in. And the Lord is ready to destroy them. And Moses asks for a second chance. Remember Jesus tells that story of the difference between the shepherd of the sheep and the hired man? When your life is on the line, the hired man disappears. But the shepherd stays to fight, to keep the sheep alive. Moses, standing before God. Right? God, fire on the mountain and saying, God, don't you touch them. If you're going to touch anyone, touch me. Leave them alone. And God says, okay, well done. What a moment, hey? The next passage of scripture that I think of when talking about shepherding the church is this one. Go to the next slide and let's show everybody. It's 1 Peter. This one might be my favorite one, though I don't know if it sums it up the best, but I love it because it talks about shepherding directly. And it talks about the chief shepherd. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but if you brought your Bible, you can flip to this one. Then we're going to 1 Timothy after that. So a little spoiler for you so you know where we're going. There's not one massive story, I think, that really covers all the aspects of leadership. It's little bits in different stories. That's why we're moving around. So imagine Peter, the first elder of the church, the first shepherd of the church after Jesus leaves, and he writes this to the churches. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, so... I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Here's what he says, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And if you keep reading on, you can keep going, but it says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. He's addressing these elders, these shepherds, saying, when the chief shepherd shows up, get ready, guys. The crown that's coming from the chief shepherd. As you shepherd in his place at this moment. It's coming. What can we learn from this? About biblical leadership in a healthy church. That when you and I look for shepherds of our church, what should we be looking for or not looking for? The things that stand out to me. Not only that they're exercising oversight, that's this overseeing again, but it's that they're not doing it under compulsion, not for shameful gain, and not domineering. If you see any aspects like that in your shepherd, you're setting yourself up for trouble. And I think we, we're going to get into this in a minute, but need to be careful when we pick elders, shepherds for the church, that we watch for characteristics. 
Not just is a person mature, are they wise, are they good, but paying attention. Without knowing it, we can get people who, one, doing it under compulsion. They feel like they have to because no one else is. Not a good enough reason. Or people who have some sort of a selfish gain to get out of it. They're going to take advantage of the sheep. If the shepherd is only looking out for himself, he's not going to be putting the sheep first. And domineering. Boy, I will tell you this. There might be nothing worse than trying to, to lead with a domineering person. They're just going to push and push and push. You ever had a neighbor or a friend who was a domineering person? Push and push. And you just tell them we need to slow down. We have to lead people. You open the gate. You give the cows some room to move. Let them get comfortable. They know where the gate is. They've went through it before. And then slowly, quietly get in the right position and then start to move them. You don't just fire up the truck and hit the horn as loud as you can. Drive around them in circles and scare the life out of them. You can't domineer people. And Peter is writing this to all of these churches in the New Testament who can get their hands on this scripture to remind them that this is the way that we shepherd. These are the things that we need to watch out for. Peter was a fisherman. He didn't know anything about this stuff, I would assume, until he met someone who lived out these things to a T. Who did Peter meet who defined shepherding? Who was the ultimate shepherd? Jesus. Peter comes off the boat, and that's probably all he knew. He fished and he caught. He dropped the net and pulled them in. And then he meets a shepherd. Jesus has all the authority in the world. He domineers as much as he wants. Chooses not to. He had the ability to make all things about himself. But willingly doesn't pursue selfish gain. And Jesus dies sacrificially, not under compulsion, makes the choice himself. That's why I think if you look at the next slide, you're going to see a lot of those characteristics of Moses are going to carry on into the good shepherd. You can go to John chapter 10 if you want to read the whole passage about Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. But look at how already you can see that he was greater in all these areas than Moses. He's a greater teacher. Why? Because he spoke the very words of God. He could interpret the scripture with authority. It was Moses who heard the words from God and then brought them to the people. Jesus speaks the words of God. Nobody fed people like Jesus. When the crowds of people are leaving Jesus, was that John chapter 6? And he asks the disciples, do you want to leave too? And they're like, no, you have the words of life. We're staying with you. What Jesus also does is he interprets the scripture with authority. Hear me out, this is amazing. If you read through the Torah, you're going to see the laws being presented in Leviticus. Now, don't fall asleep. Leviticus is more interesting than you think. But he gives the law in Leviticus to the first generation. By the time you get to Deuteronomy, they're not there anymore. They're a completely different generation of people. 
So if you've read through Deuteronomy, you think that's odd. He's retelling almost all of Leviticus's laws all over again. But they also don't match. They're different. They're not word for word the same. So why would he retell the law but do it differently? Well, it was a different generation in a different context. They weren't going to be living in tents in the middle of the wilderness. So the pattern at which they laid out their tents was no longer vital. You couldn't have someone leave the camp when they came ceremonially impure. Why? Because they were going to live spread out across a nation. So Moses reteaches the law to this new generation in a way that fits their context. He retells it. So it shouldn't surprise you and me that when we get to Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, what does he do? He reinterprets the law of God again to the next generation. You've heard it said, do not murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said. But for our generation, it means more than just don't kill someone. It means hate. It means more than just don't commit adultery with someone. It means lust. It means more than an eye for an eye. It means forgiving those who hurt you. All that to say Jesus was a greater teacher. He fed the people like a shepherd should. A greater disciple, because in the moments when it got the hardest, he lived it out faithfully. Moses, on the other hand, struggled with this. Throughout his life, Moses had to battle the urge to turn against the people. And at that pivotal moment, when he was supposed to bring water out of the rock, and God says, speak to it, and the water will come out. And Moses takes the staff that all these miracles have been done through so many times, and he goes up to the rock, and he lips off all the people, because he was upset, and he smacks the rock, and nothing happens. And he smacks it again, and water comes out, and God goes, that's not That's not the way you lead the people. You don't speak to them that way. You don't get to decide how the miracles are done. You don't get to decide how to bring water out of rocks, Moses. That's my job. You have failed the people. You will not enter the paradise that I've prepared for them. You are sinful like this first generation. You are hard-hearted. You will stay out. All the work that Moses had done to lead the people... He lost it in a moment of failure. Jesus, on the other hand, is the opposite of that. The harder it gets, the more faithful Jesus is. He meets with the adulterous woman, John chapter 8, and he sets her free. Meets with Lazarus at the grave, sets him free. The man at the pool who can't walk, John 5, heals him and sets him free. Jesus doesn't just talk about doing good, doesn't just talk about loving and being obedient. His life is this constant set of actions where he's actually setting people free, loving the outcast, welcoming people in. And it's building to this moment where he's going to have to choose whether he'll die for the people or not. And that's where I think the great disciple and the great sacrifice merge and become one. He's in the garden. He's praying before God, saying, God... The spirit is willing, but this part of me sure doesn't want to die. Is there any other way? Because I don't want to go through this. 
but I will if I have to, if it's what you want. For God the Father to say, it's what I want. I want you to go through this, and he does. That's a shepherd worth following. A shepherd who's putting other people first. When you go to the next slide, you're going to see one of the most famous passages in the Bible about eldering. I know it's a lot, it's seven verses. This is from 1 Timothy. And boy, do people love to go to 1 Timothy when things get heated in church. The qualifications of a leader or not. Churches get ripped apart over stuff like this. But these words are powerful and they're true and we shouldn't be afraid of them. Timothy, the poor kid, most likely was a young adult trying to pastor a very big and complicated church. And Paul, the wise missionary, spoke these words of wisdom to him, telling him that he was going to have to gather shepherds to lead the church. Here, and see if I can find it so I can read it. Read out of my Bible too. I'm just trying to read the screen. There it is. So Paul says to Timothy, he says, the saying is trustworthy. This is chapter three, verse one. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what is the office of an overseer? Well, I don't know a word of Greek, but I have a lot of books written by people that do. And in those books, they talk about this word. I've said this before. I find this amazing. It's the same word as pastoring, and it's the same word as eldering. Elders are pastors, and pastors are elders. That's what Timothy was supposed to go find. Paul is saying to him, go find some elders, and together, pastor the church. He doesn't say, go build a board of trustees and you will meet once a month and go over financial statements to make sure we're in compliance with the Canadian Revenue Agency. No, he says, go find some pastors and pastor the church together. So what should a pastor or an elder look like? This is verse two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife. So he must be faithful, right? Not sleeping around, but someone who's honoring his marriage relationship. Sober-minded, right? So someone who's clear, someone who's thinking clearly. Self-controlled, fruit of the Spirit. Respectable and hospitable. So someone that people look up to and trust the words that they say, but someone who also has a kindness and softness in their heart to welcome people in. Someone who's able to teach. So they must know the word of God. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Listen to this next one. Not quarrelsome. Not someone who's always going to be arguing about this and about that. Mm -mm. Don't let them lead, Timothy. Watch out for them. All they do is quarrel. And not a lover of money. It's interesting that the next example he's going to use is fathering your own household, like being a good dad at home. He says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
So to say you want to know how they're going to do shepherding the family, take a look at how they shepherd at home. You're going to get a glimpse into it, aren't you? Are they, a, like, are they a compassionate, soft, and caring leader? Have they developed their children to follow them? Look at how they lead at home. Or are they just this domineering leader at home, this dad that just constantly goes after the kids and none of the kids will even follow him because there's no relationship at all. Look at the way they are at home. Because if we're going to welcome them into leading the family, they should be able to lead a family. And they must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. If he's a brand new Christian, it might just go to his head. And he must be well thought of by outsiders. Because if you pick someone to lead your family who has a wicked reputation in the community for just being a nasty, terrible person, what's going to happen to your family? This, this is the heart of shepherding. Do you see that? Other than one aspect of this, which is the ability to teach, all the other aspects are the character of the person. That doesn't surprise me at all as someone who's helped pastor for a third of my life. It doesn't surprise me that if I was to ask an older and wiser pastor to say, who should I bring in to help lead the church family? And he would say, character, 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 character. Look for that. What does he not say? A real aggressive leader that's just going to push, push, push. Not someone who's years and years of board experience, right? Who's got an acumen for how to lead a good meeting. He says character, 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 and the ability to teach God's word. That's the kind of shepherds we're looking for. I think that's what they saw in Jesus. This. Jesus didn't lead his own household. He wasn't married. But I think these attributes give you a glimpse into what shepherding should look like. So on the next slide, we're going to talk a little bit about the local shepherds. Should have taken a picture of one of our elders, hey? Eldering. The shepherds of the local churches now. It shouldn't surprise you that I think to shepherd the church of today, you're going to need a lot of the same characteristics of Moses and of Jesus. If you look at the next slide, I just point out a few of them. I think they need to be able to teach God's word. I think they need to know it, and I think they need to live it out. Because a church, just like sheep, need to be fed. So if you're picking leaders and pastors who can't teach God's word, what are you consuming? What are they offering to you? Is it self-help? Goodness me. If that's what you're hoping for, you're in a lot of trouble, because I don't know much about self-help. So you're not going to get a, a lot of motivational pep talks from me, hey? You are enough if you just try. No, you're not. I've met most of you. You're not. You need Jesus. Because you're not enough on your own, and neither am I. You're not. They need to lead the church by example. No one wants to follow someone they don't respect and look up to. 
Paul was famous for multiple times in the New Testament saying, imitate my faith as I imitate Christ. He lived the kind of life that he could say to his churches, you can look at the way I live and you can follow it because that's the way that Jesus walked. I'm imitating him, so imitate me. If you look at the elders and pastors in your church and you can't honestly say you'd want to imitate them, how are they going to effectively lead the sheep? The last is defending the church from a lot of different things. I wrote down just a few examples. From false teaching, from sin, from division. The elders and the shepherds are the defenders of the family from the attacks of Satan in this world to rip us apart. And when the going gets rough, the shepherds stand in front of the sheep. We don't run off and we don't hide in the corners. We have to rise up. And we're going to make mistakes along the way as we try, but you got to try. That part might scare me the most, but i got to try. As you go to the next slide, we're going back to Hebrews, but this time to verse 7 of chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's a simple verse, but boy, that's a big one. And that's why I wanted it to be the last one that we looked at this morning. You guys just picked a shepherd for your church last month. And you've picked a whole bunch of elders, two of them this past year and some of them in years past, and we need more. We need people on the ministry team who are going to fill a different role than shepherding. They're going to provide leadership ministry. They're going to provide strategy. They're going to get stuff done. And we need more elders. We need shepherds who are going to keep watch over the family. But as I pray about who could join that team, as I even look at myself and consider whether I am worthy to be an elder of your church, I don't have a decade of board experience. Don't have a master's degree. I'm not a very loud and brash person. I'm actually pretty quiet. I don't know if I'm going to be a great leader. Grab the mic in front of the church and lead the big meeting. I don't know. The first time things get rough and someone's got to step in between right in the middle of the mess. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I'm ready to teach you the word of God to the best of my ability. I'm willing to try to live every day a life that is worthy of imitation. I'm willing to oversee the family along with the elders that we have to take care of you and to look out for you in a way that is of great advantage to you because you know that we care about how you're fed. We know together that the elders care about how you're led. People that wander off and are on the outskirts of church, people who are caught in sin need to be held accountable for it. 
But when the attacks do come and when Satan does try to get a foothold in the family, that the elders will be the first ones to gather, the first ones to pray, the first ones to discern, the first ones to jump in the way if they need to take the heat. You should be proud of the shepherds that you have shepherding your family. And this list is a list of perfection. I got bad news for you. This kid ain't perfect. And neither are the elders that we have leading our church. But we're going to try our absolute best. We have the spirit of God inside of us. And don't doubt what the spirit of God can do. He can take ordinary people and turn them into the kings of nations. He can take Moses, who's out watching sheep on the side of a hill and appear in fire in a bush and use him to lead a nation. David, the shepherd, who spent his whole life looking after sheep, use him to become the greatest king in the history of the nation. The Spirit of God can take a few good people, me and a few others, and do some pretty incredible things. But give grace, give grace to us as we try. If we don't pursue these things, if we go about this wrong, we may set up the kind of church that makes us happier if we pick certain kinds of leaders. But if it's not done with the Bible in mind, are we creating a healthy church? Or just a church that meets our needs the way that we would like? That's why we're talking about membership. That's why we're talking about giving. That's why we're talking about prayer, teaching, and evangelism, spiritual gifts and worship, discipling, discipline. Because we're gonna try our best to do this right. We're gonna try. The last slide, as we wrap up. A healthy church is led by biblical leaders. As Jesus is coming in that Palm Sunday, riding on the donkey, what kind of a leader were the people getting? Like I said, some of them were probably expecting a strategist. Some were probably expecting a warrior. But they got a biblical leader. They got a shepherd. I hope that our church family is always led by shepherds. And if you are feeling a stirring in your own heart that you have some of these attributes, come talk to some of us. Maybe God is developing a few more shepherds in our midst to join the elders and pastor alongside me. If you're one of those people and you think, that sounds like me, let's go. Come help. We need you.